Hello and welcome to Good Questions, Real Answers with Monty Judah. I'm Kimberly with Lion and Lamb Ministries and this is Monty and he is ready to answer all your questions that are coming in. Monty, we've got some different questions this time and some that I think you'll be interested in. The first one is from Leaf and his question is about the Jubilee years. Is the Jubilee being the 50th year also considered the first year in the next cycle? Like how Sunday is called the eighth day, but is the first day. Is 2023 a Jubilee year? And how do we know that? How is the Jubilee determined? All right. So the question has to be with what we call the Yovel year. And just as we have in the Feast of Weeks where we count seven sets of seven mm -hmm. with seven weeks, and then on the 50th day we have the Feast of Weeks, the Yovel is the same thing. We count seven Shemitah years. Mm -hmm. On the seventh year, we rest the land. We count seven of those, and then on the very next year is called the Yovel, the, the year of Jubilee. So the real question is, is this a recurring 50-year event, or it is a, a recurring 49-year event? In other words, these sets of sevens, is the 50th year really the first year of the very next first year of the very next set of seven. Yes. And there are different people will have different points of view with regard to that. I have come to the conclusion that it's a 49-year recurring event, and the 50th year is actually the first year of the next set of seven years that follow. That's the one that makes the most sense. Yes. And the truth of the matter is that we see the same thing when we do the Feast of Weeks. That first day, on the 50th day, the day after the seventh Sabbath, is the first day of the next set of seven. So if we follow that pattern, then Yovel would be done the same way. Now, as to your other question is, when is the Jubilee year? The best I can do is I can tell you that right now, this year, 2023, is regarded as a Jubilee year in Israel. Okay. And the reason is because last Feast of Tabernacles, they did do the reading of the law. And the, or excuse me, the year before they did this, and last year was a feast, was a jubilee year. It wasn't 2023, it was 2022 to 2023. So let me give you that clarification. So in Israel, that's what they've observed. Now, is that really it in God's order and timing and so forth? Only the Lord knows, really. And we're hopeful that it's soon and here close by because there's a great expectation about the Jubilee year is ushering in things about the end of the age mm -hmm. and the Messiah's return and so forth. So that's the reason why we have such interest in wanting to know when is it and when do we think it will be. Again, because of the confusion from the exile, the confusion of Israel not keeping the Shemitah years mm -hmm. properly, it, it's really, it's up for a discussion. We don't know for certain. I know in Israel, there's a group of rabbis, I believe, that are trying to make that calculation, <clears throat> trying to go back into biblical days with computers and trying to see if they can calculate. Yeah, it's even, they, they, even they have that question mm -hmm. and even they are trying to sort it out. But at the moment, I have not seen any conclusions from that right. uh, that would suggest other than it's still an open question. Okay, so to answer his question of, is 2023 a Jubilee year? What we think to our best of ability is that it was last year, 
2022 Rosh Hashanah. Is it Rosh Hashanah 2022 to Rosh Hashanah 2023? 2023. Okay. Yes. Well, very good, Leif. There is your answer to your question. Now, this one is from Brian who asks, in terms of salvation, what happens to people who have never heard the gospel? Do they go to heaven or hell? We've actually had lots of people ask this question because many people wonder about, you know, well, what about those hidden tribes in the Amazon? Or what about African tribes who've never been reached by, you know, any type of missionary? What would you say about that? Well, I can tell you this, there's only one judge in the entire universe. So just because I might understand the doctrine of salvation, mm -hmm. that, and I, let's say I had perfect understanding of it, and so I could then render the doctrine and look at a person's life and make the decision, oh, obviously this person's on the path going to heaven, this person's on the path going to eternal judgment. I can't do it. And here's the reason why. There's only one judge. I, I do not have the authority to render an eternal judgment on anybody, including myself. So when you jump into this land of saying, well, this person's going to heaven and this person's going to hell and so forth, you don't realize you just crossed over and you are now attempting to usurp the authority of Almighty God. Mm. Do you think you're going to get away with that? No. Well, no, I don't <laughs> think so. I remember as a kid one time, and I, and I think other kids have had this common experience. You know, my, my father and my mother and my parents, they had said what the rules of the house were. And I remember since I was older, I remember one time rendering a judgment on one of my siblings, explaining to them how they were going to definitely be punished because they had broken one of the rules of the house that my parents had instructed on. I decided to step in and speak like my father and oh speak as though I had rendered the judgment on them as I knew my dad would do it, and my dad heard it. Uh-oh. You were in trouble. And I found out I got in trouble for that just as much as my sibling got in trouble for the other thing. <laughs> And my counsel that I give to people is, it, you need to know what is the doctrine of salvation. You need to know what God has said about the subject, and you need to know it so that you can measure you and say, am I doing what the Lord has said? Yes. But that did not qualify you now to go off and render judgment to anybody else. The truth of the matter is, and let me illustrate my point, you know how you heard that the Messiah was hanging on the cross and there were two thieves either side of him and so forth? And we know that one of them went to paradise with the Lord. Yes. And one of them went somewhere else. Which one went to paradise? Was it the one on the right or the one on the left? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know which one he was talking to. And by the way, both were, they were all condemned. The, the sins they had done were worthy of death. Okay, so what you get to see is you get to see all the bad stuff that another person does, and then you make your judgment based on what you see, but you don't know what's in his heart. You don't know where his spirit is at with God. You don't know what he's cried out to the Lord and mm -hmm. his spirit to the Lord in the last moments of his life. You, you have no idea about that. So how can you possibly render a judgment on a condemned prisoner. Right. You can't. No. I know for a fact, and because I've met him and talked to him, I know for a fact that a, a man that was a killer here in Oklahoma, horrible, horrible crime. 
killed people with a knife, mm -hmm. slaughtered them, homosexual. And I know for a fact that just before he was executed, he called upon the name of the Lord and begged God for forgiveness right. and had a testimony of faith and even got baptized. Right there before. Right there before. Now, is that guy going to be in the kingdom or not? Well, God knows. Mm -hmm. God knows what's real. He knows what's sincere. That's right. He knows where your heart's really at. You and I judge on the outward things. God sees the inward part as well. So let's just set aside this business about, wait, we think we understand the doctrine of salvation. We understand the gift of eternal life and how mm -hmm. it's done so that we can render judgments on others. We don't. Right. And anybody who attempts to do that with anybody else, I don't care how horrible the person has been. I don't care about any of the sins or crimes they have committed. You don't know. Right. And oh, by the way, it goes equally for the guy you think is a saint. The guy you think was perfect in the faith. And so you don't know if he really knows the Lord or not. That's true. God does. Yes. In fact, God, the Messiah, warns us in Matthew chapter 7. There's a lot of people who are going to come up and they're not going to be entering the kingdom of heaven that have been calling him Lord, Lord all their lives. Right. That's the scariest verse for me. I know. When I read I the know. Bible. <laughs> and so what it's telling us, don't go there where you're going to be making the eternal definition for what that person's eternal reward is. You don't know. So leave that one alone. We'll just let God handle all of that. So let's go back and say, what has God said with regard to how one receives salvation? What God has specifically said is that it does not have to do with obedience. It doesn't have to do with whether you were a good person or a bad person. It has to do with who do you trust and obey. Right. Do you trust God and do you know God and do you believe what God has done? Do you believe in him as a person or not? And there's lots of people that do many good things and are good people, but they don't believe the Lord. Yeah. Well, God is saying the determinant is not what you observe in terms of their behavior. It's what do they inside believe? And we use other terms in the Bible. It's about knowing God because the person that you trust, you get to the point after you've trusted them enough that you say you know them. In my other previous residence that I had here in town, I had two very distinct neighbors. The one across the street, his name was Bill, and he was a sportsman. He had a boat, and he liked to take his boat out in the summer. And Bill and I, we'd wave at each other across the street, and a couple of times we had short conversations about his boat, mm -hmm. you know, and so forth. And the thing I always remember about Bill was, was that he, he always wore long pants, but he'd take his upper shirt off in the summer, and so he was a red over white guy. It looked like a 57 <laughs> Chevy red over white. You know, that, that's what I remember about him. Now, the other guy, my neighbor, was Paul. And Paul, he was a retired professor, and he worked with Habitat Humanity. He was a wonderful man, strong believer, and... His wife had made us cookies, and she brought cookies over when we were welcome to the neighborhood, and we actually had some dinners together. You know, he came over and had dinner. We were at his place, and he even went to some things. We did some things together. Now, 
walk up to me and you say, Monty, do you know Bill? I would say no. Mm -hmm. No, I know of Bill. I have met him. I know that's his name and I can tell you about his book. Mm -hmm. uh, do you know Paul? Yes, I, I know Paul. I've been in his house. He's been in my house. We've sat down, we've ate meals together and so forth. And he walks up to me and he says, which one should I trust? Mm. I would say you can trust Paul. What about Bill? I don't know about him. I don't know if you could trust him or not. I, I haven't had any dealings with him. But Paul, I, I can trust him. I know the man. Right. Now, why is it? Because we came to the same table, because we did things together, and I began to learn of him. He learned of me. Well, the same thing is true of the Lord. Everybody knows about the Lord. He's right across the street, rides around in a chariot. Okay, he's got a big throne that's beyond the stars. Everybody knows the Lord, right? But do you trust him? Does he trust you? Mm -hmm. No, I see, I know the Lord. He's like Paul. I, I've sat at the same table with the Lord. I've been at his feasts. Mm -hmm. uh, I've walked with him. I've followed his instruction. He's given me promises. He, he's fulfilled the promises. I, I don't have any of that with the other guy. And a lot of people try to get through life by being religious. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so they do what religious people do. And that doesn't mean that you're a believer of God. That just means you're a religious person. Right. Being religious isn't sufficient for salvation. It's got to be more than that. So when it comes to the subject of our own salvation, let's measure this. The way I pose this when I get a chance to sit down with people is that if you claim that you're trusting him and that you believe in him and you believe that he's given you the gift of eternal life, well, then show me some of the evidences of how you, you came to know that. In other words, can you give me three reasons why you believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And if all they've done is just heard other people talk about he's being the Messiah, or they presume that he's the Messiah, but they don't have the evidences, then what is their trust, their faith right. based on? And you have to have that kind of faith that leads to salvation. So when it comes in terms of people who have, have never been, we don't, we presume like these, outside, you know, folks who are very removed from civilization. We don't know that they might know the Lord in a different way. Maybe he's well, reached them in a different way, perhaps, than missionaries. Well, I'll, or... I'll give you what uh, something that happened to me in my own personal testimony. Mm -hmm. When I was a young man, and I had just come into the faith, and I was just now learning. And, well, I started absorbing information, testimonies from other people. In other words, the subject of salvation was an important subject to me because it was new to me. Right. And I read this one testimony. And, by the way, I did go and verify this truly happened. It was about a missionary who was in one of these remote areas. Mm -hmm. I don't know what country. I don't recall that right now. But he was in a place where he was making an effort to go to these villages where nobody had ever gone and shared the right. Bible or anything of the Bible with these people. And there was this one village they had gone to that the leaders of the village would block them and wouldn't allow them to come in whatsoever. They were not permitted to have any interaction with this village of people. He had not seen a lot of great success in his ministry, mm -hmm. dealing with them and other folks around. And he was getting a little bit discouraged. 
And he was literally thinking about, well, you know, maybe the Lord doesn't want me here doing this. Maybe he's got someplace else he wants to use me. He said, but I'm going to make one more trip. I'm going to make one more trip to go there. So he recounts the testimony that he traveled out again to this village. And this time he approached the village. The gates were open. The people were greeting him and welcoming him in and led him right into the entire assembly of the village. Wow. They had assembled and he came in and they said to him, speak to us, tell us. First time he's ever welcomed in this village, been there for years. Right. So he, he got up and he shared the gospel. He, he shared about Yeshua coming and dying on the cross and that's how we receive forgiveness of sin. And, he, and, and the whole village accepted the Lord. Wow. And like terrific. And so he's talking to the leader of the village and he said, I, I have to ask you a question. I said, I have come here repeatedly many times and you've rejected me and never allowed me into the village. But today you opened me in, you welcomed me in and, and, and here we are and, and you've accepted the Lord. And so what happened? And he said, I had a dream. This is the head of the village. He said, what is the dream? And he said, I had a dream. I saw a man whose hair was on fire and his eyes had fire. And so he was riding a great white horse and he came down. He came down from the heavens and he came down and he said, tomorrow a man will come and speak to your village and tell you who I am. Wow. Only God. Well, that's a picture of, of the second coming of the Lord. Yes. He'd never heard about that before. What, how, did, how did he get that? Right. Well, obviously God had prepared those people to receive you yes. know, at the time that he wanted to. So God was way more involved then than we, we had given credit to. And when I heard that, the thing that struck me was this. God knows who we all are. And by the way, God didn't get a hold of me in my earliest days of my life. He, he started working with me after I was a full-grown man. Mm -hmm. why, why didn't he get started with me way back earlier? I mean, he could have. But no, why, why did he choose that time, you know, for me to get involved? Right. Or how does God orchestrate the steps of any of us that are on this world and so forth? Well, he's God. He knows how to do that. Yes. We, we don't necessarily know how to do His that. His ways are higher. That's right. And, yes. and we don't know the rationale for why he does things the way he is. One of the things that I have come to the conclusion out of all of that, and this is my answer to the question, rather than you trying to figure out how God should be the God of the whole world, maybe you should find out who this God is yourself yeah. and get in line with him correctly now, and then you'll discover that he loves those people more than you've ever thought of. Yes. His arm is not short. He knows how to save his people. But there are some people in this world, and he has said so, that are not going to be part of his kingdom. Yes. He knows the difference, and he knows how to save his people. So we should be grateful for the grace and mercy that's been shown to us. Why is it that we're believers and the others over there are not? It's by the grace of God. It's certainly not because we have any righteousness to commend us. Right. So in answering the question, I, I may sound a little preachy here, but in answering the question, let me say to you, you need to focus in on and be thankful for the grace and mercy God has shown you. And don't worry about critiquing God as to whether or not he knows how to save other people in the world. 
I think God knows how to be God. I think he's a lot smarter than us. Definitely. So I have great confidence that his arm is not short and his wisdom is not less than is needed for him to do his job as Almighty God. Amen. Well, Brian, that was a good long answer to your question, and I hope that that clears that up for you. Strengthen your relationship with the Lord, and he'll take care of everyone else. Amen. So our next question is from Andrew. We know so little about the start of the millennial kingdom, and he has some questions. Who are the people that will remain on earth after the tribulation in their mortal bodies? Will there be marriage and babies? Who is the wedding guest of the bride? He's just got a lot of questions about the millennial kingdom and what is going to happen right then. Well, I'm never going to be able to, at least at this time frame, I'm never going to be able to answer this question fully and completely because we're not in the millennial kingdom yet. I'm still trying to figure out how to get in there myself. <laughs> so I don't have all of the answers. But what I can do is I can repeat to you certain things that the scripture has said with regard to that kingdom about certain things that will be present. The number one overarching thing that we're said about the millennial kingdom is, first of all, that God's going to come and dwell with us. He's going to be in Jerusalem, and he will be with us there. And when we want to go see the Lord, we will go to the temple in Jerusalem, and the Lord will be there. That will be number one. Number two, he says, and this is his phrase, there will be no end to the increase. And so the question is, what is increasing? I think predominantly the thing that's increasing is people. Okay. And so I believe there is going to be birth in the kingdom. I believe that this mortal body that we have will be transformed into an immortal body. Mm -hmm. And I believe that what God originally intended with man in the Garden of Eden will be established again and will be fruitful and will multiply just mm -hmm. as he planned. I believe the world will be more than sufficient to support that. And I believe that as the prophecy says, it says, these are the days in which you will build and another man will not dwell in. You will dwell in what you build. You will plant and another man will not eat. You will eat of all of your produce of what you're doing. In other words, all of your labors will not be in vain. Whatever you do, it will be a benefit. You'll get the full blessing of those things. But it's very clear that only the redeemed are going to walk there. The mortals that exist today that are not believers, yes. they're not going to make it in the Messianic kingdom. No. Only the redeemed will walk there. And the scripture is very emphatic. That's the reason why we have a day of the Lord. You know, mm -hmm. he ends it for unbelievers yes. and we go forward into the kingdom to dwell with him. Why would he bring people into the kingdom that didn't want to dwell with God? He wouldn't. He wouldn't. No. But he's made it so that we can. Now, let me just add a couple of other things. And this is my, my deeper thinking on this. Um, on the one hand, I think that the world will be a lot like what we understand the world to be today. There's going to be trees and there'll be animals and there'll be farms and houses and we will live and there'll be Sabbath and there'll be the festivals of the Lord and we'll go worship the Lord, you know, and so forth. I think, I think there's a lot of things that will be the same mm -hmm. as what God purposed and intended for mankind and the world from the very beginning. I think he'll fulfill that. 
And yet at the same time, I think it'll be vastly different. And I think the thing that's going to be the most different for it is, is that righteousness will be established there. Yes. We're not used to living in a world where there's real righteousness. Especially today. And justice. <laughs> yes. we're, we're not used to living in that world uh, kind of thing. We're in a world full of people who are full of fear yes. and thieves and out for themselves and self-centered and self-willed and they, they love them. They don't love their neighbor and, you know, they violate the commandments. But that's a world that says, no, we'll have the commandments, we'll be taught the commandments by the Messiah, and we'll obey. And righteousness will be established. And and it'll be a completely different kind of world. I'm I'm really personally looking forward to dwelling in a world like that. Yes. And by the way, having a new body where I can run and not be weary. Yes. And that, oh, by the way, let me go give you one of the other exciting things. It says that we will get a body like the Lord's body after his resurrection, which means we apparently can adjust the molecular density of our molecules mm -hmm. where that we can float in the air. Or go through a wall. Or go through a wall. Now, that's really interesting. That's pretty exciting. You know, Isaiah 60 Verse 22 asks the question of the kingdom. It says, who are these that are like doves that fly to the lattice? Who are these who fly like clouds? You know, what, what would it be like to, I want to make the trip to Jerusalem, so I'm just going to go up cloud high and fly with the clouds over there. I don't need an airplane. <laughs> I don't need a car. Right. You know, I just enjoy it. Translate yourself there. Right, yes. exactly. And the other I really like too is, is that when you pray, God will answer you before you finish your prayer. I love, love I like that one. I like that one. I'd be able to talk to the Lord and he answers me. We can't quite imagine and, and fully take in all that's the evidence that's been given to us. Let me just kind of summarize the question by saying this. You really want to get there. Amen. It, it's really good. You <laughs> yes. want to get there. And I expect things to be amazing. And at the same time, I expect them to be kind of already understood. Yes. You know, the, the, you know, if we'd have hung in there and done what the God had planned to do and not misbehaved, it, we, we could have had that here. Already. Yeah. What a wonderful world it will be. Amen and amen. amen. All right. We have one last question. All right. And this question is, what is the distinction between the law and grace? Okay. Well, there are two different things. One, the law are the commandments, instructions, and righteousness. Grace is, the flip side of it is mercy. Mm -hmm. Grace is receiving something from God you didn't deserve. Mercy is not getting something from God you did deserve. Mm -hmm. And so what God does with regard to granting his favor, it really is completely different from instructions and righteousness. Mm -hmm. Instructions and righteousness tell us how to walk the path. Yes. In fact, the whole idea of the law is, you know, when I, I live in a country where I get in my vehicle and I follow traffic laws. Mm -hmm. When I drive from my house to my work and so forth, I stop at the stop signs. I pay attention to the speed limit. I drive in my lane. And when I want to make a turn off of it, I turn my use my blinkers to let others right. know. 
And the law doesn't keep me from getting to where I want to go. It just gets me there safely. Yes. So I don't hurt someone else and somebody else doesn't hurt me. We all agree to follow the law. So that's how we walk. That's how we go forward. Mm -hmm. But with regard to who am I and why am I here at this moment, that's by the grace of God. Yes. That's God's grace. The law does not negate God's grace, and God's grace does not negate the law. They are separate and distinct. You are not saved by the law. No. You're saved by God's grace. Yes. But once you're saved, how are you going to walk? In accordance with the instructions that God gave you, you're not going to be relying on God has to be gracious to me and forgive me of sins every day because I'm willfully and defiantly going against what he said. Right. That's not salvation. No. You never did trust the Lord, obviously. Right. So why should God extend mercy to you when you continually do that? Yes. Uh, now that's up to the Lord to decide that in the end. We have a common Christian teaching that somehow, because we've received the grace of God now, well, that's done away with the law. Nonsense. No. The grace of God existed from the very beginning. Yes. And grace was known to Noah before there was a law. So one does not negate the other. Law does not negate grace, and grace does not negate law. They're completely separate. Yes. Well, thank you for that. That is exactly what our questioner wanted to know, and that was very succinct for, for her to, to break down and understand it for herself. But that is all the time we have for today. And I want to thank you all for joining us today on Good Questions, Real Answers with Monty Judah. Please don't forget to like, share, or comment below. And we'll see you next week for more Good Questions and Real Answers.